What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. No, I don't. Okay. Yay, I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, sorry, continue. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> we will pause for bookish excitement anytime. <laughs> Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 80. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Today's guest is Corey Hara, a caseworker in Eureka, California. She's a lifelong reader whose dad read her books like Lord of the Rings as a child and who loved the written words so much she became a creative writing major. But after college, books lost their luster for Corey for a while. And when she started keeping a detailed spreadsheet about what she was choosing to read, she diagnosed the problem and she did something about it. In this episode, we talk the prosaic, like what it's like to move to a town with a much smaller library. We dig into the problematic, like why it can be so hard to describe a book you really loved. And we talk about the unforgettable, like a book that makes you want to skip dinner, bedtime, and the rest of your life until you finish it. This conversation is so much fun. Let's get to it. Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I can't wait to talk today. Okay, Corey, where are you in space this morning? I am in Eureka, California. Oh, I love Eureka. Well, I've never actually been to Eureka. What I mean is I have good friends in Humboldt County, so we've been very close yeah. I'm picturing you like talking to me in the fog. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see the ocean from my house. Oh, wow. If I look really if I look really closely at the horizon. <laughs> yeah. When it gets really foggy. So a lot of times I can't. What brought you to Eureka? Um a job. Um I'm in social work and I had the opportunity to be um a lead case manager out here at a, a family resource center. Um and work with a close friend who I've known for 10, 15 years, 10 years. So yeah, and I'm my family's in Southern California. So not much closer, but a little closer to them out here. So at least you're on the right coast. Have you been there long? Yes, exactly. I've been there. I've been here about four months. Oh, so not long. What did making that move? And then I don't know, does it make a difference on your reading life that you can now see the ocean from if you if you crane your neck, where you live? <laughs> Um, I, 
I don't know. I mean, I guess there's a prettier backdrop for reading. Um, I, d I don't think it makes... Well, I guess there's one thing. The library out here, um, I moved from a very big city, well, the second biggest city in, in Michigan, to um, Humboldt County is beautiful, but the po just population-wise, it's very small. Mm -hmm. um, so the library system, there's still great, great books, but it's just so different. <laughs> I'm used to like having this huge, beautiful city library where you could find almost any book. I was very spoiled and I just didn't even think about that when I moved. Um, and you can still get most books here, but you have to order them and they come from all over the place. It's just a different, it's just a different style of library. It's not, there's not as much browsing. There's still some browsing. <laughs> it's hard not to browse. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like you must have been a heavy library user back in Michigan. Yes, and still a very heavy library user. Um, just a totally different library system, and I'd never really thought about that, like just how different different counties handle their libraries and what they look like. And I mean, there's a library out here up in Trinidad that's like in this beautiful location. Ours is in a beautiful location in Eureka as well, so there's that. It's situated right next to the ocean. You can see this beautiful marina and islands, and so there's a trade-off, but both are, both are special. I think I've been there. Yeah. Is, well, if there's two libraries in Trinidad, the one I'm thinking of um, might share space with City Hall or a firehouse or something like that. Uh-huh. It had an adorable painting sign you could go wine tasting like right next door is that the one yeah <laughs> that is fantastic yeah it's a great library <laughs> you can see sea lions I think I just call them seal lions you can see sea lions and get your books all at the same time exactly which where else can you do <laughs> like I'm sure there are more than more than one place but it's it's beautiful yeah I live 600 miles from an ocean, so that sounds pretty <laughs> spectacular to me. Yeah, definitely. Corey, let's go back. What's your history as a reader? Yeah, um, so I have been reading forever. It feels like since birth, but <laughs> I, re I remember that I was the only person in my kindergarten class who could like read a full book. Uh, my mom was an English major. Um, she just really loved reading and instilled it in me from just probably birth. I'm sure she was reading to me <laughs> as a baby. My dad read me the um, the Lord of the Rings books when we were younger. Like they really just gave us the real good stuff. Like I was like eight or nine when he read us Lord of the Rings. And I was absolutely terrified of so much in that book. But it was like it was just this beautiful experience like hearing these gorgeous full stories and he skipped a little bit like it's some of it's hard and long for children but it's like they wanted to introduce us to these like real epics or really great stories just from a very young age and so it's always been a part of my life and yeah and I was an introvert so I was the kind of kid that would like take my book out to recess and like try like hate it when the teachers made me like go play it's like but this book is good <laughs> yeah. do you have any great memories of reading something truly amazing like while everybody else was playing kickball I'd love to hear what you were reading I have a really vivid memory of reading Jane Austen in like the sixth grade while everyone else was, oh my gosh was playing four square which is and I'm sure there was kickball going on as well <laughs> but, <laughs> 
But I just remember because I hated Foursquare. I just never thought it was fun. I would always wait in line and then try to get out as quickly as possible so I could not be playing. <laughs> and then one, and then I, it's like I just remember reading like Pride and Prejudice and being like, this is so much more fun. <laughs> Jane Austen is better than Foursquare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I love it. What's your reading <laughs> life like now? Um, so I set a goal a few years ago to try, I started tracking my books about four or five years ago and realized I was reading, I think the first year I tracked it, I read 50 books in a year or so. And so I was like, I'll set a goal. And then what's a good goal. And so I decided to double it and try to read a hundred books in a year. And I've been trying to do that for about four years and last year, I, got, I think the last year I got to 97 and that's the closest I've got. Um, but really like just e like even in four years, doubling my reading is, is a pretty big accomplishment. Oh, it definitely is. Let's go back. What inspired you to first start tracking your reading? Um, I read a ton before college and then college kind of made it hard to read. You, you know, you have to read for school so much. And I realized I just wasn't reading at this level that I used to. I used to read, I don't know how much I read as a teen, but it was a lot. Um, I'd bring like 20 books home from the library and read them in two weeks or whatever. Um, and so I like started doing that again in my adult life. And it's like, I wonder how much, I wish I could go back and find out how much I was reading as a teen, but yeah. So I was like, I wonder how much, and then I went through and tracked. And then ever since then I've been tracking and it just, like, I don't want that to be, I don't want to stop reading because I don't hit 100. I don't want to feel bad because I didn't hit 100. That's like a pie in the sky goal. Yeah, don't feel bad. <laughs> I'm always trying to get to. And some year I will. It'll be a special year. But yeah. A special year when you focus on 150 page novels. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> or graphic novels, children's books. <laughs> yeah. That could happen. I mean, I truly don't believe in reading for numbers and I don't want anyone who reads 12 books a year, like be proud of that. That's amazing. Don't feel bad about a hundred. But if you really want to stretch from 97 to a hundred, those are all totally legitimate strategies. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I, I also like, I am, I made sure when I made that goal, it's like, I don't want to feel bad if I hit 97 because I read the Goldfinch by Donna Tartt or, you know, like something really long that took me the length of three or four books. And it's like, I'd rather just read the long thing that I'm interested in mm -hmm. than make that goal. So that's why I got so close, but didn't quite get there. <laughs> what have you learned about your reading life because you're tracking your reading that surprised you that you might not have known otherwise? Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, about two years ago, I actually, um, I started tracking, well, I found out, I think it was about three years ago, I read less than I did the year before. And that was the first time that had happened. And I was like, I wonder what's going on here. And so I looked at my books and which is one of my passions and something I've always been passionate about is um, racial equity, specifically because I, I work in social work. So um, it's just really important to um, understand communities that I'm serving. And also I am I'm mixed race. I'm half Mexican and half white and multiracial, <laughs> just lots of like identity pieces there. And also I'm an aspiring writer. I was a creative writing major. So I was just really 
I was wondering why I was bored. So I looked at my books and I realized that like a lot of the authors I knew from school or that were coming from wherever I was finding the books, I noticed that I was reading a lot of white men. Um, and that like, and it's cause I was reading, you know, Hemingway, Tolstoy. Um, I was trying to read these like literary and also just like, like contemporary, um, Jonathan Franzen, you know, I don't, I've never read something by him, but I tried once and just like these, (laughs) these novels that I was not engaging with. Um, and then also just an important piece that I've learned from racial equity training and working with that is that it's really important to, um, when you're finding a, like a, a book about a different culture, it's really, or a TV show or a movie. Like you really want to look at like who the producers are of the movie, who's the writer, who's the director, like, where is this representation coming from? And the fact that I was reading, you know, a lot of white men, it's like, there has to be more out there. Um, there has to be a lot of different voices and why am I not finding them and where are they? (laughs) And yeah, so I started tracking, I started tracking my books by, uh, if they're written by a man or a woman, um, like genre, but also like if it was a person of color, if it was nonfiction and then just like, just the, the very act of like tracking on this grid kind of system really helped me understand and kind of expand what I was interested in. And so I, I never was like, I'm going to, I mean, I kind of was like, I'm going to read less white men, but it's like, how can I diversify? How can I find different voices and engage more and really like look at what I'm taking in and um, really try to like use my reading life to understand the other, you know, like how to, how to, and I don't like, we don't want people of different races to be other. We want to um, engage with them and just like build an inclusive society. And how do we use the empathy that we get in reading to expand our view and to have a more inclusive society? So, yeah. And I've just been really trying to, to read more women, to read more people of color women of color is it's harder to find but that doesn't make sense because there are so many great women of color that are these amazing writers and if you start looking for them you're going to find so 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 many voices and just like like the ta- the hashtag we need diverse books on Twitter and Instagram is a great place to start you're going to find so many so many interesting voices so Corey you said when you had this data from your spreadsheet and you saw that you were reading lots and lots of Hemingway and Tolstoy, you said that you asked yourself how you could branch out and find more diverse authors. So it sounds like Instagram and that hashtag on Twitter and Insta, we need diverse books was one way. How else did you, were you able to branch out? Um, I started, I started looking, I started reading blogs. Um, I started reading New York Times book reviews, but just like specifically, like if I'd see an author of color or an interesting subject, I'd make sure I'd mark it on Goodreads. Um, I started book of the month, which is awesome because they always, I don't, I mean, there has never been a month where there wasn't an option to have a writer of color. I don't know if they do that on purpose, but it's great that they do it. And um, they're always, always, always great 
interesting topics. I found uh, Kathleen Collins, the Whatever Happened to Interracial Love from them. The mm-hmm. Mothers by Britt Bennett is absolutely amazing. Um, and every month, uh, Behold the Dreamers was theirs. And I, I can't pronounce the, the author's last name is M-B-U-E, I believe. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to get that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You'll notice I'm not yeah. trying. Yeah, but there are just so <laughs> many, so many great, that's a, I mean, honestly, that book of the month gets me one amazing book from an office author of color a month. And I, and it's like, I never, even if I, I read the other ones and not that they, they have so many great selections, but it's like, I'm always the most interested in the one that has this diverse viewpoint Um, and I don't know if it's, it's because I'm trying to do this or because I just, it's genuinely good for me and, um, good for my work or, or what, but it's been really great. I found so many amazing authors that I don't know how I ever would have found. Now, how have your reading stats changed since you started this project? Nowadays, what are your, do you keep, do you do fancy pie charts or anything like that? Bar graphs? Yeah. You know, I, I did and I couldn't find it for you. I have it somewhere where the, with the stats of all the books I read last year, and I can't give you the exact numbers. You probably, you probably don't care. (laughs) No, I'd be so curious to see. But, um, what I found that I read a lot less men, um, but there were still, and I, and Um, and that, I think it was, I think I managed to read over 50% people of color authors. Um, yeah, but, but the lowest percentage was women of color. Um, and I don't know why that is. I want to keep looking. I want to keep searching. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot of, of white women who are, are really succeeding. And that's awesome. Like Paul Hawkins, Gillian Flynn, all these great authors that are so, so popular, but yeah, I mean, white women are, are doing really well in the reading world or the writing world, I think. And that's amazing, but I really, really want to keep searching for the women of color. Um, and also, I mean, just like the little I can do to keep those authors writing, you know, by the, by their book, tell people how much I love it. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, as a reader, that's what you can do. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Buy and borrow great books and share them with your fellow readers. Yeah. And we're doing it. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, Corey, after hearing those stats, I'm so curious to hear your favorites. Are you ready to dive in? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Because you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately. And we'll talk about what you should read next. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with your favorites. What's the first book you love? Okay, my first is um, Homegoing by Yah Jesse, I believe is, it, is how it's pronounced. You nailed it. Okay, awesome. <laughs> Tell us more. Homegoing is um, a multi-generational story, and it's, it starts with two women who are related, and one of them stays in the country of Africa that they are from, and the other one, the, the, the generational, goes from, you know, a slave ship to um, living in the South and through slavery and beyond slavery. And you just get to see um, chapter by chapter, the mo- like, where these 
family lines take them in history. And I absolutely love anything that is multi-generational. There's just something so satisfying about like seeing someone's whole lifespan. (laughs) I don't know, like just, just taking that from living like day to day and how slow time can move. Like I don't, there's something I love about reading those multi-generational lines and seeing um, how history pulls us through. And also it's just an, an important historical moment and a story I'd never really thought of inside those lines. And I just thought her writing was gorgeous. I thought the way the plot moved was just, just so satisfying, but also heartbreaking and just seeing like the two the two paths dividing at the beginning and how far away they got from each other. And gosh, I just love this book. It's so good. (laughs) I hear you. I read this last summer too. And it's a serious book, but I read it with absolutely no problem by the pool. And she just does what she does really well. And I can't believe how young she is and how talented. 26, I think. It's insane. Well, she's probably like a whole like 27 now (laughs) (laughs) since it's been a year since it came out. I'm happy to hear this book getting loved, though, because it really, it earns it. Yes, definitely. Corey, what's the second book you love? Um, The second one is Never Let Me Go by um, Kazuo Kazuo Ishiguro. And I'm sorry for the pronunciation on that one, too. (laughs) We know what you're talking about. I think you did good. Yeah, and this one is, it's almost cheating because I feel like the best way to describe this book is not to describe it. It's one of those where it's like, it's better if you know nothing about it, just jump right in. (laughs) So without giving much, like too much away, it's a, it's like an, Oh wait, no, now I'm afraid. Don't give anything away. Tell it, tell us about, um, when you read it, where were you? Um, I read it. Um, I believe I was just, I was at my home or maybe I switched to a coffee shop about halfway through, but I, I read it in about two days. Um, it's pretty short, but I read it like as quickly as humanly possible. Like I had to go to work and sleep and stuff, but it was just, (laughs) (laughs) it was just like diving into not even like, like it is a great world building, but it's more like a feeling of, like it, there's some suspense to it and it is best if you know nothing about it, but just like this kind of off putting feeling that something is not quite right with the setting he has set up with us. And I, and maybe, maybe other people have read it knowing what it's about, but I ha- I knew absolutely nothing. And I was just like, so like glued to the page, could not put it down and just almost is like, I almost don't want to know the tw- like what's going to happen because I'm just like so enjoying the journey. And then it, it's just the most heartbreaking. I've never thought about a book for so long. I still think about it sometimes. Like I'll just go back and be like, that was just such an interesting, that just posed such a, it's not even a philosophical question. It's like the very emotion of being and what are we as humans on this planet, but also it's just this little piece of nugget of perfection. It's the best. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to ruin anything because I feel like that. I don't want to tell you anything because I feel like that kind of ruins the journey, but it's really, I love that book. It's wonderful. As a reader, I love being assured this is fantastic. Yeah. 
<laughs> don't don't know don't find out anything don't dig don't read do not read the flap whatever you do just dive in I love books like that how typical is it for you to read a book in two days and really resent needing to go like go to work and go to sleep I would say it happens like four or five times a year there are books that I really enjoy but don't feel like like I want to skip dinner or skip talking talking to my partner or you know and just like but three or four times a year, there's just like, I resent you. I resent anyone for existing. Like, I just need to be here for the, with this book. <laughs> but yeah, not too often. It's, it's a pretty special book when that happens. Oh, definitely. I love the way you put that. <laughs> I don't resent you exactly. I just really want to read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that in a good way. Corey, what's your third favorite? My third favorite is... So what is not yours is not yours by Helen Oyeyemi. Tell us more. So I feel like I chose books that are really hard to describe. Um, Isn't that funny how sometimes the books we love the most are so difficult to talk about? I feel like there's a relevant Jane Austen quote here. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so Oyeyemi is, she writes with like this magical realism type like she reminds me of fairy tales, but also really like less linear than fairy tales, even um, steeped in allegory, I guess. And her this book, it's it's interconnected stories, so there isn't necessarily like a plot that pulls you all the way through. But this is a book that I have such this like memory of falling all the way into. But I don't know if I could tell you characters' names. I couldn't tell you much about what happened in each story. Like, it's not about the plot. It's not, a, I mean, it's about, so I guess on the back it says, this is a book about keys and locks. <laughs> Even the back of the book flap, I feel like, couldn't describe what this book is. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really intriguing, though, yeah. when you put it like that. And it's just, if you had to be ready to fall into some kind of magical world like Alice in Wonderland almost like things are not necessarily going to make sense but they're going to be connected to these emotions that you don't even know how to describe um and she really is like she her other book Boy Snow Bird kind of falls into the line of Snow White the story of Snow White but it's not like it's not anything like Snow White and I feel like she does that in her books she grabs she grabs like one detail that can kind of ground you in the world like you are through what is your not yours is not yours you're looking for the keys you're looking for the locks this is what connects these stories and like the idea of secrecy and secrets and things we can't know things we don't want to know um, things we feel like we have to know but probably shouldn't and just like this whole but um, she just weaves these like worlds and pages and these different stories that by the time you get to the end of the story, you're so sad to leave it, but she's just spun it perfectly. So that is, that is it. I don't know. She's just, she's, she's like truly like a literary voice of our time. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah. No, that sounds really good. I love the way you described that. Good. I feel like I, it's, I feel like there's no good way to really. <laughs> Some of the best books are like that. Yeah. Especially when they mean a lot to us personally, I think. Mm -hmm. Corey, what's a book you're not so crazy about? Um, so I think I'm going to go with, uh, 
13 Reasons Why. Oh, a very of the moment hate. Yeah. Just because of the, the Netflix show that I'm seeing many um, diverging opinions on. Yes. And do not intend to see. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. Um, it's hard. It's hard to talk about books we hate. <laughs> that For different reasons than the book we love, but yeah. also true. Yes. But this one, um, I know there's been so much chatter online and I'm not going to go, I don't want to go into like, uh, there's, there's just so much, but what really made it not work for me is that I just didn't, I didn't believe that the narrator would get to the places that she got through the story. Like, I just think he chose, so I, like the basic, the basics of this book is that a, a teen commits suicide and she leaves 13 tapes of people that are her reasons why. And I just think the, the very, like the tapes is what didn't work for me. And that was like the setup of the book and just like hearing her voice through these tapes made me like, just not under like understand her less almost. I don't know. And it, it just didn't work for me narratively. And also I, because it's such a tough topic, you really have to like be really careful about how it's represented. So I feel like if you're writing a not very good book about a topic that is so, so important to people's lives that it just, you need, it needs to do better. Corey, you're a caseworker. Did that affect the way you read this book? Do you think? I think maybe. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's some mental illness. There's, I mean, it's prevalent in a lot of communities. Um, but I just, yeah, I would never recommend that, that book to someone that was, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone, honestly. <laughs> it's not very nice. I'm, I love so many books, but I just feel like that one missed the mark. And it's such an important topic that it's really, it's, it's important that you hit the mark when you're talking about tough issues. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Corey, what are you reading right now? Um, I just finished The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Yes. Tell us more. Yeah. It's so, and that's another one that's like a, it's a topic about a, a black female teen who was in the car when her childhood friend who was also black was shot by the police. Um, and it was beautifully written. And again, like representation, she is a black author and it, it's definitely YA, like you're gonna, if you hate YA, it might be hard to get through, but you really care about those issues. Like, but I just, I loved it. I thought it was really great. I thought she did an amazing job of like, um, using the, or, you know, shining light on a hot button issue, but really like telling a story well. And yeah, it was really great. <laughs> That's kind of cheating. Cause I just finished it. But no, that's not cheating. Okay, <laughs> if you feel like that's cheating, um, what's something else you've either read recently or are about to get started on? <laughs> well, I so I I finished it a couple nights ago, and I was trying to start something yesterday, and the the pressure of having whatever I was reading be the book I'm currently reading on your podcast, just like I just could not. It was really hard for me to pick a book from my stack. <laughs> I'm sorry. But that's that's hysterical. I read the first chapter of like four books. <laughs> well, okay. What were those four books? Um, Killers of the Flower Moon by David Gran. 
Ooh, okay. That's really interesting that you mentioned that one. We'll come back to it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we Gonna Be Alright by Jeff Chang. And then Sister Citizen by Melissa Harris Perry. And the last one was uh, American War, which is my book of the month book. Omar, Omar L. Akkad, I believe. I'm saying his name wrong. I'm always saying it. <laughs> it's a it's a hazard. Yeah, it is. So tonight when the pressure's off, which one are you going to keep going with? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I might start The Handmaid's Tale. That was on my stack too. Okay, that's uncanny that you said that. Because when we were talking <laughs> about Never, Never Let Me Go, I made a little <laughs> note with a big question mark because I thought you might have already read it. Have you already read it? I haven't read it yet. Okay. I just read it for the first time myself like a month or two ago. I listened to Claire Danes on Audible and it was fantastic. Cool. I mean, great story, but her narration was also uh, very understated, which made it maybe even creepier. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that one has a good vibe, like Never Let Me Go. Oh, I'm so excited to hear what you suggest. <laughs> Yay. Okay, I can't wait to get to it. Um, first, tell me, is there anything you want more of in your reading life as I make these picks? I, I guess anything with, you know, magical realism, multi-generational, any kind of, um, you know, diverse voice. But I feel like we've gone over all of that. So I think you're, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. I have ideas and we will get to them right after the break. I feel like you have a lot of self-awareness about your reading thanks to your four or five years tracking it. So let me see. I feel like you have a pretty good idea of what it is you're reading. This is how I'm seeing it. So you have a lot of, at least for your favorites, you have books that tackle a lot of serious topics. You know what? That's true about your current reads and even the book you hated, even if you didn't feel like it, it did the serious topic justice. We have stories that are very atmospheric, um, very rooted in time and place, uh, really vivid, lots of lush descriptions, or, you know, sometimes in the case of like the Ishiguro, um, very spare descriptions that are also very atmospheric because they're so sparse. And you have books with very deliberate pacing. Okay, so we are looking for diverse authors, interesting topics, Ones that keep you turning the pages, but it doesn't have to feel necessarily like a, I can't eat dinner. Like you have patience, you have patience to stick with a book that's telling a good story and telling it smoothly. And I have ideas and I really want to hear what you think of them as soon as possible. Yeah, I'm excited. Okay. Book one, I think we're going to start with the man. You okay with that? Yeah, that sounds great. Book one, which maybe you've already read it because like it's hitting a great many of your categories. Okay. It's The Refugees by Viet Thanh Nguyen. What do you know about it? I have not read it. Have you read The Sympathizer? I have not. Um, I read a really great New York Times article by the author recently, though, about diversity in um, writing workshops. So he just recently went on my list, but I haven't, I don't know anything about his books. Okay. So he's already on your radar. Well, I haven't read The Sympathizer myself, the Pulitzer Prize winner, but I have read The Refugees. And as you were describing your favorites, it was, it was definitely ringing lots of bells and here's why. So first of all, obviously we have a diverse author. 
who is not American. Uh, he's he's Vietnamese, and this novel is set very much among um, the Vietnamese, and also especially the Viet Vietnamese immigrant communities of California. And it is a novel, but it's written like the Oyoyemi is a collection of stories. So you get to move around in time and see different perspectives. And I think that it belongs, that has a lot in common with your favorites. And what I especially like about it for you is the elements of, I don't know if magical, re we could probably call it magical realism. So let me give you a taste of why I think it might be for you. The very first story is kind of a ghost story. So there's, there's a young man um, whose mother keep, I might be watching this because it's been a few months. And this just came out, I think in February. But basically, two boys were close when they were young, and one of the boys died. And now that they are older, the survivor and his mother, the mother is saw her son's ghost once and keeps waiting and waiting for him to appear again because that's what mothers do. And the son thinks she's a little crazy. And then one night the son sees his brother's ghost and they have a conversation and he learns things. And I think this sounds up your alley. What do you think? Yeah. I just got chills hearing you describe it. I mean, it's a ghost story, so chills are appropriate, but that sounds great. And it's not like, it's not a straight through ghost story because it is a collection of stories and we meet a lot of different characters and we make our way to America and we follow a young Vietnamese immigrant who ends up getting housed with a odd couple, couple that maybe not the host family he was expecting. So lots of, um, Lots of breaking ethnic boundaries, lots of um, interesting family juxtapositions, uh, lots of unusual touches like that ghost story. Cool. It, yeah, it reminds me of, it sounds a little bit like Exit West, which was like number four on my favorites list. Oh, so, really? Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the women. Okay, first, let's see if you've read, oh, what were we saying about pronunciations? Because I'm about to botch one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> They're tough. Do you yeah. know Under the Udala Trees by Chinelo Operanta? No, I don't. Yay, I'm so excited. <laughs> Never, yeah. Okay, sorry. Continue. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. We will pause for bookish excitement. <laughs> Anytime. Okay. So I had never, this came out in 2015, but I hadn't heard of it until recently when I had the strange experience, strange and awesome experience of two different booksellers in two different bookstores recommending it to me within like 48 hours of each other. Like, oh, you're looking for a atmos atmospheric, interesting, modern novel. How about this one? And the second one, I was like, you have got to be kidding me. And I might've said that out loud. And he was like, what, what? I don't know. Like, what's wrong with it? I'm like, no, 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 no. It's just, <laughs> I'll take that, please. Okay. So this is, if you're familiar with the work of Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Yes. I love her. Okay. So her novel, Half of a Yellow Sun is set during the Biafran War. Um, beginning in ni 19, the 1960s in Africa. And this novel also opens during the second year of that Biafran war between Biafra and Nigeria. And once again, as we've discussed, I do not want to tell you too much, but 
what we have, we open with an 11-year-old young girl. I'm not going to tell you the characters' names, mostly because I cannot pronounce them (laughs) properly. A lot of uh, Adichie's works I've done on Audible, which not only has been an amazing listening experience because the narrators I've happened to get are fantastic. I haven't listened to all her works, but the ones I have have all been exceptional. But you also know how to pronounce the names. Yeah. I have no such confidence here. Um, We have an 11-year-old girl who's sent away from her home um, to flee the war so she'll be safe. And her father is basically just angry at the beginning of the novel. Like, how dare they bomb us? So he gets killed in the raid. And her mother cannot cope. And that's a major theme in the story. We see how war brings out hidden strength in others, um, but how some people go to pieces. So we see the pressures of living through violence that just doesn't feel like it's going to end and how that affects her individual characters. And of course, this is more than a war story. Um, There are some complicated relationships. There's meaningful relationships um, between lovers and parents and children. And we also have is a main theme, like a girl growing up, coming of age against the backdrop of this war. How does that sound? That sounds really interesting and great. And I'm so excited that I've never even heard of the title or the author before. So yay. I'm excited that you're excited. Okay. Book three is a little bit different. So I know that you didn't like your YA not so crazy about book 13 reasons why but you really like the hate you give which tells me that it's okay to go for ya am i right yes definitely yes fantastic because as you were describing um what you love to find as a reader i of course was thinking of this book that i just finished and really really loved it was a big surprise to me and i keep thinking about it now that i'm done it was so interesting and super well done and it is called dreamland burning by jennifer latham what do you know? Nothing. Yay. Oh, that's the best answer. Okay. The contemporary storyline is about a 17-year-old girl. Her name is Rowan, and she lives in a well-to-do family. Her mom is black. Her dad is white. They're building a pool or something in their backyard. They renovate. They live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they're renovating a historic home. And they're digging something up in the backyard, and they find a skeleton buried on their family's property. And... I won't tell you the machinations of the plot, like what what she does when the cops aren't looking and why she gets set off on this kind of historical scavenger hunt into the past, but she does. So what we're doing is flipping back and forth in time between contemporary Tulsa, Oklahoma, where she and her buddy, who is a boy, and his name eludes me, but he's not a love interest that is like absent from the book. It is about this girl and her family and history. And since this is a YA book, that was a little bit refreshing. If you know what I mean, it wasn't like all like, oh, fireworks and bubblegum love story, which those can be really fun sometimes, but but sometimes you want something a little different even in this genre. So a hundred years earlier, In 1921, there were some deadly race riots in Tulsa, Oklahoma, like serious, scary, lots of people were killed. It was a really, really big deal. And I didn't know anything about it. But with this plot device, Jennifer Latham is flipping you back and forth between Tulsa now. And then when we flip back in time, we're following another teenager and another storyline. And it involves um, small business 
families, racial tensions, and the Klan, which is super creepy. Um, and in 1921, I couldn't believe uh, how scary the situation in the town was that they were describing. So our teenager, as we go back to 1921, he is mixed race himself. He is half white and half Osage Indian. And they talk a lot about the Osage Indians and his mother is quite wealthy because of all the money she gets from the oil settlement that is the focus of so much of Killers of the Flower Moon, which is why it really made me think of that. Those books would be excellent companions. But we go back and forth in time between this contemporary storyline where we have a 17-year-old girl struggling with questions of identity, trying to find her place in the world, and navigate the sometimes quite tense situations around her, and a teenage boy in 1921 doing very much the same thing although under um, much scarier, like just in terms of violence and like terrifying circumstances because of these impending racial riots. And we see how those riots actually take place um, towards the end of the book. And it's just so interesting, really well done and does a great job of handling questions of many different kinds of identity without being super heavy handed. Like Latham has a nice touch with this. How does that sound? That sounds amazing. Sounds really, really interesting. I can't wait to hear what you think. Corey, of those three titles, what do you think you'll read next? I think I want to read the, the Jennifer Latham. It was called Dreamland. Dreamland Burning. Dreamland Burning. Yeah, that sounds really, really interesting. All right. Well, I can't wait to hear how it goes. Thanks so much for talking books with me today. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited to start reading. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Corey today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Corey and let her know what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 80. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. We have so many great episodes lined up for our summer season. Here's a quick peek at what's in store next week on What Should I Read Next. You know, I can trace my love of mysteries back to my first Nancy Drew book that I read. And I remember I was six years old and... I went through at our school library, I went through over, I think that first year and I checked out every single Nancy Drew book. Stay tuned readers. That's coming next Tuesday. Hit subscribe in your favorite app or visit what should I read next podcast.com slash iTunes. So you don't miss a single book recommendation. Readers our 100th episode is right around the corner. We're planning a special episode and we would love to hear your ideas about what we should do to celebrate this milestone. Let us know in comments on the podcast site or email Brenna, Brenna at modernmrsdarcy.com. She is collecting ideas. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next? To be the first to hear about upcoming guests and more fun behind the scenes What Should I Read Next news, make sure you're getting our newsletter. Sign up at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.